Good afternoon. Welcome to another Thursday edition of Bill Allen's Facebook Bible Studies. Glad to have you joining in and I have a wonderful announcement to make. I have decided on what I'm going to do next year. Yes, I'm going to continue these lessons. Sorry if that disappoints you, but I am. You can always not turn in and that's okay. I completely understand. But I am going to uh, resurrect my daily Bible reading series that I did a couple of years ago. It's based on F. Lagard Smith's wonderful uh, The Daily Bible in Chronological Order. Gives a lot of great, uh, a great outline of the Bible. You read through the whole Bible in chronological order, uh, starting in Genesis and going through all the way to Revelation. But things are a little bit different along the way because the Bible is not written in chronological order. So we skip around a bit at times, but it's a very, it's the most useful daily Bible reading tool I've ever been around. And uh, so I hope that uh, you will join in, even if you're not reading through the Bible next year, or you're reading through it with a different plan, that's okay, that's great too. Uh, then uh, you can still join in on my Tuesday, Thursday classes next year, and we'll look through this great uh, series, and we'll study through the whole Bible in 2024. I think that's a very valuable thing to do in light of the significance of the times and the needs of the times as well. Uh, if you're here locally and are a member of West Irwin or close enough to get to me, then uh, I do have 12 copies of that on order and they'll be coming in soon uh, at about $20 each. I, we don't make any money off of them. I think it's pretty much a clear sale uh, of, as far as the cost that we have versus the cost that you have. You can also get them at most any bookstore, even Barnes & Noble, uh, certainly Mardell and other Christian bookstores. But it is uh, something that is a valuable tool and it's pretty popular this time of year as people are thinking about Christmas presents or reading through the Bible in the upcoming year. So um, again, this is not how I make my living selling books, but I can tell you that this is a great one. And I love reading through the Bible and I love using this format gives just barely enough uh, historical references on the side that uh, helps you to stay grounded as far as when things are happening and what's going on. Uh, but it's not a commentary. It's basically almost all the Word of God. And uh, I love the way Dr. F. Lagarde Smith uh, helps us through that. So um, anyway, I'll be saying more about that as the month finishes up, the year finishes up. Uh, and looking forward to that. Again, that's the Daily Bible in Chronological Order by F. Lagarde Smith. It is uh, going to be the theme of my Facebook studies next year uh, in 2024. However, we're still in 2023. <laughs> in case you haven't noticed, we are. And <clears throat> uh, our studies this year have been on two uh, daily devotional books, uh, one of them on Tuesdays is by uh, Oswald Chambers, My Utmost for His Highest. But on Thursdays, we've been going through a book that I've really enjoyed, uh, Tim and Kathy Keller's book on the Songs of Jesus, looking at the Psalms, all 150 throughout the year. And uh, as we've gone through this on Thursdays, I've really enjoyed it. And today's uh, going to be no exception because I a couple of my uh, very favorite uh, scriptures uh, as far as the Psalms are concerned are found in these three Psalms that we're going to be looking at, Psalm 133, Psalm 134, and Psalm 137. 
I've entitled the lesson, The Sweet and Sour of the Godly Life. And I think uh, that is a good way to put it because there are some wonderful things, but there are also some challenging things. And the Psalms are very honest and acknowledge both. The psalmist praise God and adore God always, but especially during those times when the psalmist is especially feeling the deliverance of God. But as you know, if you're familiar with the psalm, certainly if you've been with me for some of the years' studies through this great book and through the psalms, we're at Psalm 133, <laughs> then you realize that um, the psalms are very honest in uh, confronting uh, the situations in their lives that don't make sense for someone who has given their lives to the Lord. Uh, the psalmists cry out for God's deliverance. They cry out about the injustice that they see. Uh, they cry out when they are being treated personally, uh, unjustly. We see that a lot through the psalms. And so today, as we look at these three psalms, Psalm 133, 134, and 137, we get some of both. And I think that's a great thing. They're all short psalms, so don't get discouraged that this lesson is going to be forever. It's not. Um, but I want us to start with Psalm 133 and specifically verse 1, which says, How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Uh, and that's a great statement. It is a great, great statement. And again, this was written, um, I don't know, 3,000 or so years ago, maybe not quite that many, maybe a little bit more, I don't know, but it's it's been a long time. And yet it's just as true today as it was then. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Got to give a shout out to my old uh, 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 college, Oklahoma Christian College at the time, Oklahoma Christian University, and to my wonderful men's uh, club, Alpha Gamma Omega. We formed it in the fall of 1975 when I was a freshman, and I stayed with it through my time at Oklahoma Christian. Kind of keep in touch a little bit with the old school and the old group, but not a whole lot, but some. And uh, this psalm, this verse, Psalm 133, verse 1, was the verse that we chose as our motto. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity psalm 133 verse 1 so yeah this is a special verse to me absolutely the psalm continues it is like precious oil poured on the head running down on the beard running down on aaron's beard down upon the collar of his robes it is as if the dew of hermon were falling on mount zion for there the lord bestows his blessing even life forevermore now, I realize that those pictures maybe don't mean nearly as much to us as it did to a psalmist around 900 or 1000 BC or later, but it is, uh, it is understandable that what he's saying is it, this is a precious, precious thing when God's people dwell together and live together in unity. It is a wonderful thing, and it is something that is a, a great, great blessing. Uh, and, uh, and so the psalm acknowledges that, the unity of God's people brings opposites together. Uh, and I love to talk about the word unity from this perspective. Unity in the Bible sense is not uniformity. Scripture acknowledges in the New Testament in many passages, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 8, 1 Corinthians 10, uh, Romans 12, almost all of <laughs> Romans 12 through 15, uh, Ephesians 4, Colossians 2 and 3, so many other passages speak about the differences within God's people, and yet those differences and that diversity does not challenge our 
uh, does not cause our unity to be taken from us. It challenges it, certainly. But again, unity is not uniformity. We're not exactly alike. We're not cookie-cutter Christians. We have different gifts, different interests, different passions, and that's by design. Because God has great use for the church, more than just one single use. He has multiple usages and multiple purposes for us as a church to serve different models that the church might include. Worshiping, serving, helping, benevolence, um, being able to teach and instruct others in God's word. All these things and much more are part of the purpose of the church. And to do that, we have to have people that are not only good at those things, but also have a great uh, passion about those things. And that means that the church is a diverse body. And that's what Paul affirms in 1 Corinthians 12. We are one body, but many members. And so the unity of God's people can, can be consistent, even if there's not uniformity, even if there are differences, and we get that. Uh, the supernatural bond that brings people far divergent in culture, race, and class, I would say, in likes, dislikes, passions, interests, all of those things, uh, God brings them together in the church. The unity and love he gives us is like the precious oil that the psalmist describes in, this, uh, uh, in Psalm 133, uh, making people fragrant and attractive to us who otherwise we would dismiss or reject. I love that statement uh, from the Kellers. Uh, some that we might otherwise dismiss out of hand or reject because of our differences. God's people who dwell and live together in good and pleasant unity, even though it has its problems at times that we have to work through, it is still a great blessing. And it is such a wonderful aroma. Paul talks to the Corinthians about the aroma and to the Ephesians, the aroma of Christ. Uh, and so he calls on us in Ephesians 4, after acknowledging how different we are, later in the chapter, he begins by saying, we are to bear with one another in love. We are to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And he asserts that doctrinally we have similarities, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, for example, but that practically from a relationship perspective, we have our uh, differences. We have different likes, different dislikes, different personalities, uh, different uh, gifts, uh, as he affirms to the Corinthians and to the Ephesians here in Ephesians 4. And yet at the same time, we can be one body even though we have many differences. And Jesus said in John 17, in his high priestly prayer, as we call it, he, he affirmed and prayed that we would be unified and acknowledged that the world will know that we are his disciples if we have that unity, that pleasant unity that this psalm, Psalm 133, talks about. But we don't always see it in the church. Unfortunately, we see in the church sometimes too much of the animosity and insecurity uh, and resentment that we find in the world over those with whom we have differences. It's not to be that way. We stand by our convictions, absolutely. And when someone comes up to us and says, no, Jesus isn't Lord, you don't have to worship God. Well, that's where we draw the line and we can't be unified with them because they have rejected uh, the core of Christianity, but what we can do is we can love them 
And certainly within the church, within our fellow believers, we absolutely should have that unity that is pleasant and is a blessing. We pray for God to teach our churches and to help us grow in ways that would continue to be diverse and yet in that diversity have a strong sense of unity and love so that we can have that same pleasant feeling that the psalmist acknowledges. Uh, so now we turn to Psalm 134, verse 1. Praise the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who minister by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who is the maker of heaven and earth. As we have said, these psalms are psalms that a lot of times the, the, uh, the Jews would sing on their way to Jerusalem to worship. And sometimes they would get there in the middle of the night. And perhaps that's what this psalm refers to. The Kellers kind of suggest that. They write that the pilgrims finally arrive in Jerusalem and come into the temple. They see the priests and the Levitical singers singing at night. And then he says this, perhaps those who worked, quote, the night shift got little public attention or acknowledgement. And we get that, don't we? I wonder if that is what the psalmist is referring to here in this verse. Praise the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who minister by night in the house of the Lord. Obviously, they had individuals who ministered during the day. But this psalm especially acknowledges the work and the service and the blessing of those who uh, do that in the middle of the night. When the cameras aren't rolling, when there's nobody posting on social media, well, you get the idea, right? They're kind of below the radar. And, uh, and yet they are very much in God's sight. And there are many in our world today, in our church today, that serve out of the limelight. Many of them want it that way. That's their that's one of their gifts. They they don't want to stand up in front of people. They don't want to be acknowledged for their good deeds. And you can do that out of a sense of pride. You can do that because you're saying, oh yeah, I'm, I'm good because I do a lot of stuff, but I'm also good because I don't want anybody to say anything about it. And yet in our hearts, we, <laughs> we're thinking, yeah, I, I actually do, and I want them to acknowledge how wonderfully humble I am. I love the saying, I, I got, they gave me a medal for humility and they took it away when I wore it. <laughs> love that, love that. Well, this is not talking about that kind of person. This is talking about the person, and we have tons of them here in our wonderful West Irwin Church of Christ. They've been on display this week, as many of our folks have been involved in preparing meals and serving meals uh, for uh, some special needs families and teachers and staff at a couple of our area school districts. We've, ha we've had them the last couple of days and it's a wonderful blessing to see these people give so generously and work so hard uh, to just tell a few others that don't get much uh, <laughs> praise and gratitude that, that we see them and we acknowledge their service and Boy, they face it every day, uh, and it's a blessing to be able to acknowledge that. Uh, we see it so many different ways in our church and in our ministry, just as we saw in the previous uh, chapter of Psalms, that unity and diversity with different gifts and different ministries and uh, different actions on people's part to help people and to praise God and glorify Him. Um, we see that on display constantly. Some of those you see right up front. Um, some of those uh, are always making things happen, but in the background. 
And so I appreciate all of you as a preacher of God's word for 46 years or so. I appreciate you so very much and praise God for you because I know that uh, you're a blessing and I feel it and our church feels it. And I know the church where you are feels it as well. Uh, though they were laboring in relative obscurity, God bless them as he does all who are faithful to their calling. And that's the key. Be faithful to your calling. If you've called to lead worship and to have the people in church every Sunday see you and be aware of your service, that's okay. Just don't let Satan drag you into doing that uh, in order to be seen by others and to receive the praise of others as Jesus warns in Matthew 6. But also be willing to share about, uh, uh, to, to appreciate those who have the gifts and the calling of serving uh, under the radar. I, again, we appreciate you. Whatever you do, do it to the praise and glory of God. Uh, Colossians 3.17 says that. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says that. Uh, we are to live in his presence always, as Ephesians 5 says, uh, singing with joy and gratitude in our hearts to the Lord, whatever that gift is. And so as we seek to worship God and serve him every day, we realize that sometimes that, that means doing things that uh, highlight the faith and trust we have in God. Last Sunday, one of our shepherds, Matt Hawes, taught the Bible class while I was away. Uh, Joyce and I were Gammy and Papa for the weekend last weekend, watching our wonderful granddaughter in the Nutcracker in Maryland and spending time with our grandsons and our daughter and son-in-law there. But here, life went on, and one of our shepherds, Matt Haas, taught my class, and we began a two weeks of study on uh, the life of Joseph in the Old Testament and how God worked in him and through him and on him and through him for God's people, but it wasn't easy. It was hard. And so uh, there were times when he had to wait to see what God was doing. And he suffered during that time. 13 years from the time he was 17, the Old Testament story of Joseph back in Genesis. At 17, his brothers betrayed him, sold him to a group of travelers, and he ended up in Egypt as a slave and then ended up being unjustly accused of, of sexual assault and ended up in prison. And it was 13 years before he was exonerated. It was 13 years before he was released, but he was still there in Egypt, even at age 30. And it was another seven years before he was finally reunited with his family. That's a long time to suffer. And as Matt shared some Sunday, sometimes we have to wait, but can we wait well? Can we do that well? Psalm 137 is an acknowledgement of what that looks like. It doesn't mean that you deny the difficulties that you're facing. That's a hard thing to do, to acknowledge the difficulties you're facing without losing faith in the God who perhaps could have saved you from it, perhaps could save you from it even now. Sometimes it's hard when we struggle, especially when we struggle and suffer because someone else is acting unjustly and we bear the brunt of that and we suffer the pain and the consequences. That's what Psalm 137 says. The context clearly from the content, remember in Psalms, the best way to judge the context of a Psalm is by reading it, by the content. That's no clearer than in Psalm 51, 
when David pours out his heart to repent of the to the Lord of the sin he had with Bathsheba and Uriah, but also it's seen in Psalm 137. The context clearly is the exiles, the Jews who had been captured by the Babylonians uh, in the, uh, around 550, 586 BC, uh, when Jerusalem was destroyed, and then for the next 70 years, they were there as captives. And this psalm speaks of that. Uh, hear the pain in these words, Psalm 137. By the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars we hung our hearts, for there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. Remember, Lord, what the Edomites did, the people of Edom, on the day Jerusalem fell. Tear it down, they cried, tear it down to its foundations. Daughter Babylon, doomed to destruction, happy is the one who repays you for what you have done to us. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. Yikes. That last verse especially, the call for God to punish uh, and, and destroy the enemies of God's people, the ones who have, have done so much harm to them, is hard for us to hear, hard for us to read. And yet at the same time, it's the psalmist honestly expressing how he feels. How he feels today we're very much aware of the suffering of the of people who claim the Lord God as their God and um, do so according to the teaching of Scripture in this case the Old Testament what we call the Old Testament as Christians I'm reminded of the the current crisis in Israel and the horrible atrocities that the terrorist group of Hamas did to them and all of the ones who supported that and all of the ones who aren't speaking out against it. I can't for the life of me understand how anyone could not stand up and say that was wrong. Um, no matter what else is true, that was wrong. That was wrong. And so it's that same kind of, of suffering that the people of God observed in the days of the Babylonian captivity. And while in captivity, the Jews were there, and as he says, we, we hung our harps up. We couldn't sing the songs of Zion. We were too sad. It was, we were too far away. It, it, was just, it was just something that we emotionally just could not do. But their captor said, sing us one of the songs of joy. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy, the psalmist writes. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. And, you know, I think of all the happy, peppy, most wonderful, praise-oriented, joyful songs and hymns that we sing today. That's what they wanted to hear. We're marching to Zion. Let's hear that one. You know, uh, that kind of thing. Hallelujah, praise Jehovah. Let's hear that one. That's what they wanted to hear. And yet the, the Jews, they said, we, we, we just couldn't do that. This isn't something, as the, as the Kellers bring out, the songs of Zion are not cultural artifacts, but are the story of God's saving plan. Their cry asking that the oppressors get what they gave to others startles us, but we should, <coughs> we should not close our ears to the pain of the oppressed of the world. 
<clears throat> and I think that's one of the important lessons we learn from the imprecatory psalms, as we call them, the psalms that call out for God to punish their enemies. <clears throat> the psalmist write, God, make this right. They're asking for vindication. They're asking for justice. And how God chooses to do that is up to him. And I think even these know that they are to leave that judgment up to God. <coughs> Excuse me. Sorry about that. But they call on God to remember what their enemies have done. And they call on him to act with justice and with judgment. <clears throat> we were talking about this some in our Bible class last night here at West Irwin Church of Christ. And one of the things that we said is that um, we don't want God to act on us with justice. We want him to act on us with mercy. But God is a God who is just. Second Thessalonians affirms that. God is a God who is, con who is committed to right over wrong, to good over evil, and sometimes evil has to be punished. And that's what the psalmists are praying for. And I think it's okay for us today as well to pray that God would be merciful even to our enemies, as Jesus told us to pray, and to love them. But we also pray that God in his justice would make things right, that he would vindicate those who have been wronged, and that he would punish the oppressors and deliver the oppressed. We, that's the right thing to pray, because that's what the Bible does. The psalmists pray those prayers, and granted, I, and perhaps they went too far in their description, but we understand the emotion behind that, and I hope that you do. And I hope that you pray for justice in the world and that you seek to be just and righteous in your own life. And treat others respectfully and fairly, act honestly, uh, as uh, Micah in the Old Testament says, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. That is our call today, just as much as it was uh, all those years ago. Um, so let's be reminded today of the sweet and sour of a godly life. There are some sour things. There is some suffering. And sometimes it's unjustly brought upon us. How do we respond? We look to God. We turn to God. We pray for him to deliver us, to make things right. But we pray for his mercy as well. And we remember the sweet. We remember the blessings of being in a body of Christ, the church, that is united as one, though we have our disagreements, we're united as one to serve and to glorify the one who died for us, the one who gave his own life um, in, in a sense where people were treating him unjustly like no one has ever been treated, the one who did not deserve at all to ever suffer or to ever die because he had lived a sinless life the one who was the Son of God, the one whose birth the world celebrates this month, and what a joy that is, the one who came and lived and taught and served and died, the one who was raised from the grave, the one who is our Savior, uh, the Lord of lords and the King of kings, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for the blessings of unity, for the blessings of peace, for the blessings of joy and of provision and security and we also acknowledge today that even during those times when we suffer and when those blessings are not quite seen we can still trust in you and have faith in you that you are right there with us and that you will see us through father we do pray for justice in our world 
We do pray, Father, for peace, but we pray, Father, that your hand would be seen and that your will would be done. And we pray, Father, that those who are treated unjustly can find the vindication that they long for. But help us, Father, in the meantime, before that comes. And we may not even ever see it. Help us to trust you and to have faith in you, the God of justice, the God of mercy, the God of love. We pray these things in the name of the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Prince of peace, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I hope and pray that as you go through these days throughout this month that you are brought before the cross, not just before the manger. <laughs> I love that. But hopefully that you're drawn also to the cross and to that empty tomb and that you find that same peace and joy, that same justice, that same mercy, that same vindication, that same love that the psalmists cry out for as well. I'll see you on, on Sunday, hopefully. Uh, either live or online, and I look forward to seeing you next Tuesday. God bless.